um, Isaiah, I think it's chapter 30, I think, but I'm not 100% sure, for our main point this morning. It says, whether we go to the right or the left, we need to, to listen to the Holy Spirit saying, this is the way, walk in it. We have to listen to that still, small voice that is in the back of our heads that is guiding us um, with his bit in our mouth, right? Uh, I was watching a, a video this this week, and it was a dad, I'm assuming it was a dad and daughter, and it, he was teaching her what a bit does to a horse. And so he puts a uh, football helmet on her and then ties two um, reins on the side of the, the hooks, clips them on there, and he is saying, now what are you telling that horse when you're holding those reins down? And he's pulling them down like that, and she's going down like this. He said, yeah, you're telling them to go down, or you're telling them to back up. You're giving him mixed signals. You need to be loose on the reins, and you need to hold them up here. And now if you want him to go right, and he pull back on the right hand, and he was steer, and then you want to go left, you go like this, right? When you do this, that gives him mixed signals. But when you lead where he goes, now imagine if you had a bit in your mouth, what he's going to do to that. And sometimes I'm like, Lord, please put a bit in my mouth so I will do what you tell me to do. Um, and it is uncomfortable. That's right. But uh, sometimes we need to be uncomfortable when the Lord um, is leading us. So that's the case that we have. I think we start seeing um, good old Jacob starting to understand that he needs to follow the ways of the Lord. And it's not necessarily that he didn't, but the way he was doing it was very deceptive. And there's consequences for that deceit, isn't there? We see that today in the message and the story that Jacob has to be sent away from his blessing. So let's get into that. The first five verses of Genesis chapter 28, in the New Living Translation, they read like this. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, you must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he has promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean. All right. So here we have a blessing from the Lord and a charge to action. You notice Jacob receives his blessing in the place that he is standing now. And then he has to go on a long journey, a journey that will define himself uh, forever, right? And as he goes, he will come back to the place that he's standing to receive his blessing. Okay? So God has blessed him with this land, but he's got to go find out how to submit to the Lord. And once he comes back, then he receives this blessing that the Lord has given him. How often in life do we discover that God's goal is right where we are and we are just not content with what we have? How many times does that happen? More than I care to admit, right? More than I care to admit. But sometimes we can't see the forest through the trees, right? 
we're like, man, I wish God would just bless me. I wish he would be there watching over me. And uh, guess what? He is. Um, we find our rest in the Lord. When we find our rest in the Lord, it is much easier to be content with what we have. It is easier to recognize what we have as a blessing, and we thank the Lord for what we have, right? If you have a hard time with bitterness, um, just a complaining attitude, an attitude of gratitude is one of the best ways to bust out of that and just be thankful for what you do have. Um, I have a, uh, this car keeps breaking down. This car doesn't work. It's I wish I had a new car. It's all rusty, blah, blah, blah. Instead, we say, thank you, Lord, for getting me from point A to point B today. And that didn't break down. Thank you that the battery worked and it started and that alternator is working. Uh, things of that nature. Uh, because when you don't have a car, wow, now that's when your blessing's been taken away, right? Um, the heater might not work on the way to work, but man, you got to work. And they have heat on. <laughs> Hopefully. You ever drive, you ever dress up into your coveralls to go to work and then take off your coveralls when you get inside? It's when your heater core goes out. That's right. Been there, done that. So King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes that everything is meaningless. He walks through everything that you could possibly imagine, and he says it's meaningless. He says, History merely repeats itself, and there's nothing truly new under the sun. He finally concludes Ecclesiastes with Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14 like this. It says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is, what is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. What's he saying there? He's saying, if God isn't in it, then life isn't worth living. Okay? He's walked through life. He's tried to do it without God. He's tried to do it with God. And he says, everything, building houses, making gardens, all these wonderful things, many wives, getting rich, getting drunk, trying to be sober, all the things that you could imagine, it's all meaningless unless God is in there and he gets the praise. He also wrote in Proverbs 1.7, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you understand that there's something bigger than you that can destroy you with the blink of an eye or a snap of the finger or not even a thought at all, that puts you in your place and it puts me in mine doesn't it? And when we understand that, when we come to the full fruition of that, we understand that we are but a speck in this universe that God has control of, and he has put in and spun in a way that it doesn't fall, it doesn't clank, it doesn't clatter, um, and we are protected by just some amazing things as that goes, Right? So whether we are at the beginning, the middle, or the end of our journey, it is important to remember that Christ needs to be in our journey. Okay, It doesn't matter if we're at the beginning of our journey, the middle of our journey, the end of the journey, but Christ has to be in there at some point if we want to continue the journey in, with eternal life in heaven. Right? Christ has to be in that journey. 
So in Colossians 3.23, he says it like this, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So if you are a Christian, if you surrendered to the Lord, going to work is no longer just going to work. It is an act of worship that you are going to do your best for the Lord. When you go to school, you are no longer in math class. You are in God's math class, and you are going to do the best math that you can possibly do for the Lord. Does that mean you get straight A's? No, maybe you're not an A student. It means you're doing your best, and you're giving the full effort. Paul calls this a spiritual act of worship. You see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So what should we do? What, what do we have an opportunity for? I came up with three different things. One of them is imitate Jesus, right? It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we need to imitate Christ. That is one thing that we can do as he imitated God. Also, we also know the charge that we found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Anybody memorize this one? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, right? We talked about that a little bit, and I put that in, in rhythm, and so it's easy to remember. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, and so that's how I remember that one. A little snap of the fingers, and I can quote that one. So what's that mean? If I say that I'm a Christian, I better live my life like Jesus did. It's as simple as that. It's a simple truth that is di very difficult to do, isn't it? It's very difficult to live righteously. But as we walk together, and we walk in the light as he is in the light, he is faithful and just to watch over us, isn't he? So number two, we need to develop our character to reflect Christ. And this is kind of where we went with on Thursday for Bible studies. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We went through each one of those and said, Where did you see Jesus do this? And they came up with different examples throughout Scripture, which was um, encouraging for me because it means they've been paying attention that, of the stories that we've gone through. And so I was kind of excited about that. And then finally, it says, live righteously. Live righteously. Matthew 6, 23. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. How are we supposed to seek God? How will we find God when we seek him? You'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart, is what the scripture says. It says that in Jeremiah 29, 13. Right? Many people know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Of course, that's what I'm going to hear. Yeah, let's hear the good ones. But that's a conditional statement with verse 13, he says, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. When we chase the Lord half-heartedly, we're not going to find him. Okay? We have to chase him 
with your whole heart. Now, pastor, you say that, and there's been times in my life I've chased God uh, with my whole heart, and I found him for a time, but then I slack off, and then, and then he goes away. Well, guess what? You get back on your horse, and you start chasing after him wholeheartedly again, right? That's, that's your Christian walk. You just define the Christian walk as we go. We go for periods of times where we're close to God, and we really grow in our faith. And then we go for a time where maybe we're not in our Bible, we're not doing what we need to be doing, we start to slack off and, and we start to walk away from God, and then he pulls us back and calls us to repentance, and we start to walk closer. The progress sometimes looks like a hill, but just as long as the hill keeps going up through each one of those slopes, that's our goal, right? Keep moving forward. That is a testimony in itself, is it not? That's right, Pastor. That's right. Good job. Thanks, little Timmy. <laughs> so whether we are... No, we won't. Yes, you will. <laughs> You're probably right. So whether we go to the right or the left, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit saying, this is the way, walk in it. Let's see what Esau does when he walks through this, right? In verses 6 through 9, it says, Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Pandan Aram to find a wife, and that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Pandan Aram and was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters. In addition to the wives he already had, his new wife was Mahalem. I don't know, I butchered that. She was the daughter of Nubioth and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. I actually practiced that name for quite a while, and I still butchered it. So I put defiance for the next point. And I did that. I had a rebellion, as you can see on the PowerPoint, and I changed it to defiance when I was going back over, and that's what I put in your bulletins this morning. Because it is an act of rebellion, it is true, but I think it is even more so because he knew that his father didn't want this. He was looking to defy his father in an act of rebellion. And anytime we see rebellion in our lives... That is an act of sin, right? That ultimately, when we sin, it is an act of rebellion against God's righteousness. That's what sin is. And that's why he cannot have us in, be in relationship with us because we are in active defiance of him. It's a pushback against authority, rebellion. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Now, I'm going to read this twice because it took me twice to understand it myself, Okay. A creature revolting against a creator is revolting against the source of his own powers, including even his power to revolt. It is like the scent of a flower trying to destroy the flower. Okay? Let me read that again. A creature revolting against a creator is revolting against the source of his own powers, including even his power to revolt. It is like the scent of a flower trying to destroy the flower. I thought that was such a good illustration. A scent trying to destroy the flower. 
is that act of defiance. It's that act of rebellion because the flower has created the scent. It can't happen. If you destroy the flower, you destroy yourself. And that's what we do when we are in that defiant relationship. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Direct your children in the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. This is our goal as parents, is it not? We want to direct them toward the Lord. We want to direct them to the path of righteousness. And we want our children to to crave God's goodness, his righteousness, and choose to follow the Lord. Ultimately, that's what I want. That's probably the most important thing for me as a father, as a pastor, is to see my children come up and know the Lord in a personal way and to walk with him, especially uh, through college if they go through that. That was always the hardest for me. That's when I finally walked away from my parents as far as like um, staying in their home for two years. I went to Western, stayed in the dormitory, and I remember the second week that I didn't go to church, I'm like, I got to get back to church right now, (laughs) right now. And that's what I did. I went back to um, I found out, I got connected to Campus Students for Christ, and I was able to uh, go to their Wednesday Bible study, and um, I would go home on the weekends for church at, after that point for most, most of my college career until I found my wife. And then at, weekends were a little more attractive at college, I'm going to say, when my wife and I started dating. Uh, and then I went back for about four more years to Western. After It was three more, right? Yeah, she was smart. She She only needed... Her four years, I needed, no, that's all I needed to, but. So, the problem today is many parents act like Isaac. They miscommunicate the message to their children, and the message that is given, I think, today is, you can be anything that you want to be. If you just set your mind to it, you can be anything you want to be. You can be an amazing person. You can do this and that. And that message is true to a point. That message needs boundaries, does it not? Because they can be anything they want to be. And some of those things that they may want to be, they shouldn't want to be, right? But if they understand the boundaries that they are in, then they will understand the why, And if you understand the why, the what's easy, right? So the children need to know why. They need to know why do we go to church. They need to know why we need to try in school. We need to know why we work hard, why we study. Why are we kind? Why do we seek to know to be compassionate? Why do we choose Jesus? Right? Because if you know the why, the what is easy. If you know what Jesus did or if you know why Jesus died on the cross, you know what it means to be a Christian. And if you know what it means to be a Christian, it's easy to follow Christ. Right? So if you know the why, the what's easy. It comes down to it. We need to choose to have a soft heart of compassion. Do not harden your hearts in rebellion like the Israelites did. In Hebrews 13, 15 through 19, it says, remember what it says today when you're You hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God? 
even though they heard his voice, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpse lay on the, in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they will not be able to enter his rest. Folks, this is a dangerous this is a dangerous road that leads to the path of destruction. Rebellion starts with justification in the sense that we say, "Oh, it'll be okay. I'll just do it this one time. I'll just do it this one time. Oh, I won't do it again after that." It's like how far is too far? When we go, we see that line, and back in my day, we used to say we, we straddle the fence, right? So it's kind of like riding a horse. We get up on that fence, and we hop on that saddle, and we, we have one, one foot in with God and one foot in with the world. We act a certain way with our friends at school, and we act a certain way with our friends at church. We act a certain way with our friends at work and then at church. What happens when that fence gets a little taller? Pretty soon we got a teeter. So we got one hanging over one side and we're teetering teetering now. Now it's just uncomfortable to sit on that fence. So now you got to decide to get off. Which side are you going to get off on? One that feels good. The one that feels like it should and we generally get off into the world because it's easy. It's easy to sin. It's easy to be unrighteous, right? It's easier to yell than it is to hold our tongues. It's easier to look at pornography on the computer rather than um, studying the Scripture. It's easier to do that. It feels good at the time, and that's wrong. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's right. Right? No matter what our culture tries to tell you. Oh, it feels right. It feels right. You cannot be governed by your feelings, folks. There's a lot of things, a lot of roads you can go down wrong there. So pray to God, Lord, change my attitude before it's too late. Specifically, when it comes to anger, God, change my attitude before it's too late. Why am I getting angry? What is causing this? What is the root of this? How can I pluck that out of my life? How can I look past the problem to see the solution? Every time we look at something, I imagine that's bothering us. I imagine a wall that goes up, right? That We have three options with that wall. We can either walk around that wall, we can go over that wall, and we go through the wall. Anger wants to go through that wall, and sometimes it does. It shatters that wall, and we get through that. Sometimes anger is appropriate, and we need to do that. Sometimes, with other people's help, we can climb over that wall because they can prop us up, and we can get over that wall, and we can keep going around. But sometimes, we need to walk around that wall, and we look down that wall, and it's a long wall. And God's put us on a journey to get around that wall to find his gate to walk through there so we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Because when we walk through that gate, we're going to see the cross right there that we can lay our burden down and continue with him, which is a little bit of imagery when it comes to, um, oh, what's that, Christian 
and his walk. Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you, wife. That's right. Pilgrim's Progress. Except for the guy that jumps over the wall in that case. He is not in the right in the story of that one. So, This is what the Lord rejected in Esau. Esau saw the wall, and he walked away from it. He didn't even walk toward God. He just saw the wall that on the other side is the Lord. We can go to it. I'm in sin. I'm walking away from God. I'm going to go do the exact opposite of what my, would please my father. I'm going to go marry one of those Canaanite women. And I've already married two others, right? He's already had two other ones because he saw in the, in the last chapter it says they were um, basically a pain to, to Isaac and Rebekah, right? On the other hand, Jacob obeyed his parents and left the area, and his promise, and he, he left his promised blessing behind, knowing that God's going to restore it at some point in time too, right? That was always amazing to me as we get going on and looking at those things that I think Isaac started to realize that Jacob was the children, child of the promise, that he did listen, he did obey, and he was doing the right things. And so Isaac starts to come along, step with Rebecca and recognizing that. We're going to finish up Genesis chapter 28, 10 through the end of the chapter. It says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached down from heaven, or reached up, or reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is nothing other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, house of God other, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. This is my memorial pillar I have set up and will become a place of worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. One of the first introductions of the tithe right? It's not the only place we've seen it in Genesis at this point. We saw it with Abraham as well um, to Melchizedek. 
the bigger picture. The bigger picture comes with Jacob's ladder. How do we get to heaven? Do we need to go over that spot and that's how we get to heaven? Is that where we're supposed to be buried and then God allows us to go up to heaven in Jacob's ladder? No, that's not what it is. This is a foreshadowing of things to come. Jacob exclaims in verse 16, Surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. How often in our lives do we find that when we finally open up our eyes, God is already there? Right? When we open our eyes, he's already there. He is already with me. He is protecting me through his grace that I might have life on this earth right now. This should cause us to worship God. It should cause us to give him thanks that he has watched over us, that he has spared us up to this point. It is like uh, the Lauren Daigle song. It says, look up, child. The, the Lord, your God, is watching over you. You should find comfort in that. I do. And of course, we see it in John chapter 1, the last verse, 51. Jesus says he is going to fulfill this prophecy of Jacob's ladder. He says, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man and the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus is saying he is the way to heaven. He is the one that is the ladder. I will close with this. At the end of Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Some said that he was Elijah reborn. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you are the Messiah. Peter says, he says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. He says, you're right. Um, This was not given to you from your earthly father, but from your heavenly father. And Jesus goes on to predict his death in the next little section. And Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. He says to Peter firmly, get away from me, Satan. How can you be so right and so wrong in the matter of five minutes? Well, I can tell you, I'm professional at that. I'm kind of a Peter myself. But he says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. That should have been the first sign that Jesus wasn't come coming for an earthly kingdom, but he was coming for a heavenly kingdom, right? He was coming to win the spiritual battle, not the physical battle. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. What does that mean? Deny ourselves that we need to put away our earthly things, take up our cross, look at God's righteousness and follow his ways, seek his word and study it and to know him so that we can understand what it means to be like Jesus. Is that something that we even want to do? If it is, we have a responsibility to walk in that, the way that Jesus walks. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, right? And then we follow Christ. We don't say, come over here, God. Work over here. This is where I need you. No, you find out where God's working, and then you follow him there. Right? 
Right after Jesus teaches this to his disciple, he takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain in Mark chapter 9, and he appears, his appearance is transformed right in front of them, and he shows his disciples that he indeed is the Son of Man. He is Jacob's ladder. The angels are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He has Moses and Elijah standing there next to him, and he finds that, wow, this is a holy place. Peter gets confused once again, sticks his foot in his mouth, and uh, uh, Jesus is so compassionate to him once again. He has the right idea, uh, but he needs to focus it on just the one, which is Christ. He wants to build tabernacles for all three. Um, when he's like, no, the only place that really needs the tabernacle is Jesus, right? The Son of God. Friends, he wants you to know this as well. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Will you be bold enough to get into his word to know him personally? Have you ever read the Gospels before? Have you ever looked to see who Jesus really is? I would encourage you to go and read the book of John for the next 21 days. Take one chapter a day. Boom, you're done, right? It will show you the picture of who Jesus really is. Is that a God that you want to follow? Is he really a God of compassion, but a God of authority, all wrapped in one? And I would say, yes, yes, he is. Will you seek after that truth? Because when you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. Why? Because he's a faithful God. That's who he is, right? We sang about it this morning. He will reveal himself to be true. Jesus is our way to heaven. He is our ladder. Whenever you go to the right or the left, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit that's saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you are a blessing, that you've watched over us and you continue to do so. Lord, I pray that you would correct our steps when we want to go our own way, that we are striding the fence. Lord, open up our eyes that say that this is not what we do. This, we walk away from the fence and walk toward our Savior. You're a God who's holy and just and righteous and you want what's best for us. And so you've established that way, a way of peace, a way of righteousness, a way of, that sometimes requires long-suffering, but you are there, and you will give us the tenacity, the energy to walk through this way. Lord, we thank you for the hands and the feet that have um, made our, our meal this, this morning. We pray that you would watch, be a blessing to them. Lord, we ask that you bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and be with the conversations that they will be a blessing to our soul. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed to go eat. So you need to go right down that way or you can go in the back.